All right. So this has been another episode yeah. of Seeking Panther. <laughs> yeah. In conclusion, conclusion. Sonny was a bad film. So should we? Yeah, yeah. How do we? Okay, so how do we get into this? Well, um, we open it up with the sound of, of a panther roaring that we um, have on our phones. Sonny. Man. Uh, okay, so Sonny was a film from 2002 that um, it's, I believe, the only film that Nicolas Cage has directed, though uh, I, I was reading that he might have just directed another one um, called Vengeance, A Love Story that came out a year or so ago, but I don't know. I'm not caught up on the recent recent cage films. Cause okay, we got time. Yeah. Wh- whatever it is, we'll get there. But anyway, um, this was his first film and, uh, you know, I, it, this is another sort of landmark for me in terms of that, that I saw in the distance when we were starting this, because the, you know, what would a film by that directed by Nicolas Cage be like, what, what would that possibly look like? Um, did you have any, expectation going into this like what were you expecting well i'll tell you what i wasn't expecting i wasn't expecting harry dean stan <laughs> yeah which I was a, which was a pleasant surprise i mean it's it's a minor harry role yeah in you know yeah. relation to the rest of his stuff but it's still you know always a pleasure always a pleasure when he's in a movie and especially when i don't realize it because that's actually happened to me like a couple of times where i've started a movie and then just Harry Dean Stanton will be in it. And I'll be like, oh, oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the other thing I didn't expect was uh, Nick Cage to be in it. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize that he had a cameo of himself <laughs> in the movie. What a cameo. And too. what a cameo. But more about that later, yeah. I guess. Um, I wasn't expecting it to be fucking terrible. And maybe like... I mean, I, 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 people who want to pile on to Nicolas Cage as a cultural joke will, uh, you know, not be surprised by that, I guess. But, like, this may have been the worst film that we've watched for this. I think on, on just about every level. Uh, uh, Dave, hold on. i got to go back in my notes here because <laughs> I think I recall one called Guarding Tess. Guarding Tess is, is the previous low watermark. Wait, you think this has... You think this I think, is like usurp guarding Tess? Um, maybe. I mean, a guarding Tess had going for it. Uh, Stop right there. <laughs> the, the end of that sentence. <laughs> I'm thinking about the like the like late third act like kidnapping plot <laughs> that was pretty bonkers um it, <laughs> that um it also had that uh that chauffeur <laughs> and that scene um where uh he uh that we watched about four or five times uh, of him getting his ass kicked but like no i i mean for better or worse guarding tess was like 
competently made, I guess it that hurts me to say, but like you know it and until you see I think that this while I didn't like almost anything about this movie, <laughs> uh I will say that this had more of a sense of craft than guarding death. wow, okay, because at least it at least you can have a story that is slow <laughs> and ponderous uh-huh. with hammy acting uh-huh. and like really broad uh, characterization and direction. Yeah. Because you're trying to go for a specific type of genre feel. Okay. Which I think Nick Cage was doing and he did it poorly, but he at least what, had some kind of what was he going incoherent for? vision in his head. Whereas Guarding Test, Guarding just Test came was a film for nobody. Like, it's like literally a film. It was yeah. just an amorphous blob that was like shot out onto like thirty-five million. Yeah, yeah, and like you know, punted into theaters. Like there was no like this Guarding, Guarding. This was a passion project. And, and it, I, that passion shows almost nowhere on the film. Like I, I know it's a passion project because. Oh, see, I think the, I think where the passion shows through weirdly enough is exclusively through Franco. Oh, okay. Um, through his performance. No, not his performance. Through his casting. (laughs) Not, not through his performance, but in the way that you can see Franco like literally absorbing cageisms through <laughs> osmosis. That's true. As, as the movie goes. Oh yeah, that's and, true. And you can tell that Cage had a lot of fun directing him because essentially Cage was directing Franco as though he were a young Cage. Yeah. Like in the sense that it's the sort of role that ten years prior to this Cage would have been doing. Right. It's it's uh yeah it's like the later Woody Allen films yeah. where everybody's just playing a, a different. Well, and that and make- like and like you can see in Franco, you can see in in him and in his performance this sort of like dance that they're doing mm, with each other. And that's that, true. And that's why I think it was interesting. That being said, specifically through like the things that I know to look for, like the lay person who hasn't watched 47 cage <laughs> movies prior to this, uh, and is like intensely picking anything apart. Yeah. You know, that might not come through. I, I, yeah. I, well, I mean, Franco gets like at least three or four, uh, juicy, like freak out scenes. Um, he gets some really good freak out scenes. There's also an abundance of Franco ass. In this so movie. <laughs> much James Franco nudity. I mean, I, I made a little list of like the cage, uh, sort of like obsessions or, or just things he's fascinated with that show up in this film. Uh, I did too. Which, so it'll, like, it'll be fun to compare like these, CD, these CD characters doing CD things, uh, mm-hmm. muscle cars, uh, n- nudity for no reason, uh, dubious accents, Italian opera for no reason, and uh, th- throwing things around a room as a shortcut to having a big scene. <laughs> that was my list. Did I miss anything? <laughs> no, those are all spot on, and those are all things that I noticed too. I went a little bit broader, which is good. At least our lists are like complimentary, but yeah, I think I had, okay. So there's like a couple themes in general. I uh-huh. think. So there was something about the sensitive men that have like a brotherly camaraderie with each other, you know, where like, <laughs> right. like, like him and him and, that, and Harry have like, right. a, you know, this like really touching father son relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, spoiler, spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But like, if you didn't see that coming, I mean, yeah, God, Jesus Christ. Um, what about his his friend? Yeah, uh, yeah, and yeah. as well. And then also, like, there was a. Um, well, obviously, New Orleans is a is a thing. Oh that yeah, Cage right. Is is a place that Cage feels a great connection to. Yeah, it was around when he bought a house there. Yeah, um, and then there's also this this sort of feeling of like the damaged. Uh, outcast lovers, yep. you know, who are like misunderstood by straight society and are just yep. trying to, you know, love each other in a crazy world <laughs> where no one understands, but it doesn't matter because they have true love. And that's something that like regular squares <sighs> will never understand. God, yeah. Um, this- and then there's also this weird, oh, just like a weird thing that the sentimental like 50s uh, oldies montage. Did you notice that? Like when they're going on the date to the oh, movie yes. and there's like, there's like an old like doo-wop song playing right. while they're like walking down right. the street. Anyway, Cage is really into like, um, weird, you know, nostalgic American yeah. stuff. Well, I mean, yeah, the, so many elements of this felt like, uh, just like shavings off of other Cage. I mean, specifically Wild at Heart, but in like the, yeah. in the like mild at heart, am I right? It was just like a really, really bad version of, um, and uh, makes, yeah, it's like you shaved off a bunch of just kind of superficial uh, elements from better Cage films and then uh, glued them together into something. Um, I mean, a couple things. I mean, so this, the story of this film is, uh, that it, it was written by John Carlin, screenwriter. I didn't look up what else he's done, but uh, based on a, essentially his story, his he was born in uh, uh, a brothel and was turned out when he was young by his grandmother and uh, wrote this script and it was kicking around in the 80s when uh, it came, first it, it uh, came to Richard Gere who uh, considered it but turned it down to make American Gigolo instead, which is a vastly superior film. Um, And uh, then Nick Cage wanted to star in it. Um, So this was like literally like what you were saying. He was was considering it, but he couldn't find a director to make it happen. And then um, years later, uh, or 20 years later-ish, whatever, 2015, I don't know, um, he... He's considering directing his first film, and uh, this script came to his attention again. And you know, he says he he read it and he went through all the emotions that he he read when he, he had when he first read it, and it's like, yes, you know, this is it. This is my vehicle. So, uh, um, but that said, like, yeah. So right, we have these things that like, okay, I see why he was drawn to it. I see why it, it he has the the passion to make this thing that you know that that kind of thing of like I have the celebrity and the power now to to make this story that needs to be told and um yeah and it's a true story that um, that really makes the fact of how bad it is even worse like <laughs> because it it, it yeah it feels like a bunch of cliches i mean it it's is just poorly done yeah it's not even that the whole movie is a cliche it's that the movie is just made up of yeah other, it's made up of many small cliches beat for beat everything yeah everything there I, there's not an original thought in this movie's head which is bizarre because it is there aren't it's not like there's a bunch of movies about young gigolos turned out by their family it's not there's not a, a and you know, not that many movies set in New Orleans, 
Nah, he, he, there, it, it has a bunch of kind of s- things superficially seeming to go for it, but, um, it, but Nick Cage is a really bad director. Yeah, I think it's a little unfair to malign him because, like, especially with something like directing, I'm sure that it takes, like, no one's first movie is sure. there is, like, v- very good. Yeah. You know, sure. like, it, I mean... In in a sense that given more opportunities to develop the directing craft, I'm sure he's the kind of guy that would take to it and probably pick it up pretty quick. And, 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 and But he did do, a, like, just objectively, this is a horribly horrible, directed movie. Horrible. <laughs> yeah, almost every choice he made, I think, is, is very bad. And, I mean, to his credit, in uh, interviews and stuff about this movie, he's really humble and is very much... He's like, well, I didn't know what I was doing, so I just went by instinct. Which, and yeah, fair enough. I mean, yeah, and like, I've never made a feature film, so. right? And especially in a business like that, where you're encouraged to wear many hats, mm-hmm. you know, as an actor or a writer or a producer or a director or people take on multiple roles within a production. Yeah, it's just weird to me. It's almost like he didn't know. He tried too much stuff. <laughs> And didn't really like settle on what worked. I mean, to to the thing that he says that he was kind of his guiding star was that he knew how to talk to actors or knows how to talk to actors and to make them feel comfortable giving performances and stuff. And clearly, the actors felt comfortable giving performances and and going to uh, and and going over the top. But I mean, I think it's, it's kind of fast. Like you say, like I, what direction exactly was he giving people? Because there's, there is no, no sort of quality control. (laughs) Everybody is, well, not Harry Dean Stanton, but everybody else is, is turning in a hammy as fuck performance. And and like, and what can they do with the script too? Cause the script is, is shitty. It's really bad. I don't know why Cage read this and was like, "That's, that's this is it. the one," I and know. he hung on to it for like twenty years. Right. I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to me. I, yeah, I, I, I really don't know. I, I think again, like you know, in before American Gigolo came out, I'm sure this did really seem like dangerous, um, but uh, it dangerous is not the adjective I would give this movie. I mean, it's shockingly dull, I think for how sort of, um, uh, I will say this CD. It is to kind of just give listeners an idea of how not shocking this movie is. This movie made eight millimeter look like a legitimate snuff film. (laughs) Like that's how not dangerous, uh, like this movie was. Let, well, let's talk about what this movie is. I mean, first of all, it's set in 1981, but you would never, know. never know. I it, it there's it was there's, made in 2002, and it way looks that you like no, and that's when they're coming out of the theater, and on the marquee it says "Chariots of Fire." <laughs> that's the nice. only way that you know what you, where you're when you are in time. And the music choice, like there's a Rush song at one point, <laughs> which confirmed my worst fear. Nick Cage is a rock <laughs> fan. <laughs> yeah, that was silly. Um, and like a wall of voodoo song and covering, co- covering ring of fire bizarrely. Uh, and, and, but otherwise, I mean, I think the most glaringly like 2002 part of it was when he, he goes to meet his friend, 
his his haircut and his clothes and everything like he looks he, no one in 1981 <laughs> in America looked like this man looks <laughs> I don't even know what you call he had he had like a faux hawk and um <laughs> and like American Eagle like <laughs> baggy jeans it was so bad he was like wearing flip-flops I feel oh, like Christ so anyway it's 1980 the year is 1981 and uh James Franco come sunny T- the titular character comes home from the army to New Orleans um, to the brothel that his mom runs. Um, his mom, played by Brenda Blethen, who seems to be a very respected British actress, but oh, she's British. He's, she's British because that accent. What, I mean. <laughs> Dude, Dude, you want to talk about dubious accents? That's the the most dubious in a film full of um Franco doesn't even really try, but um she tries. And and <laughs> Cage Cage says uh, in an oh, interview man. that he's like he he describes her as having a golden ear and says that she she picked up the accent in 4 days. And I was like, yeah. It sounds like Yeah, it. but also it's telling that Cage can't even doesn't even know when someone else isn't doing a good accent. Oh boy. Like I think Cage is just accent deaf. I think so too. Like he I, doesn't I don't think he understands how you know. Well, but he doesn't think he is. Right. He he in the same interview he tries to describe it. He he said it sounds kind of like a I think he said it sounds kind of like a Boston or like a Brooklyn accent or something but s- slowed down in the back of your throat or something and I, I was like I get, I mean he's clearly thought about it but she comes on and she's like Oh, Sonny. Oh, where's that Goyle? Get that Goyle down here, Sonny. And it's so, it, it's embarrassing. I, I felt really embarrassed a lot watching this movie. And, and I didn't want to. I, 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 because you, you have people really trying their best, but like the, the director was, <laughs> the director was like, give me more. <laughs> Do you think that those that those freak out moments were Franco's choice or that Cage directed him that way? I think they found them together. That's so sweet. You know, I, I, I think, um, it, I, I think there, the person behind the camera was asking for more and Franco, I mean, remember James Franco, this was like, uh, around the time that he did Spider-Man, but like maybe right before, or like he was, he was coming off of freaks and geeks and like kind of on the cusp of actually becoming a star. And I think this probably seemed like a prestige project that fit the bill of the kind of star he wanted to be of, you know, you have, a some, somebody as kind of, um, out there as Nicolas Cage, um, directing a, a kind of, you know, seemingly, uh, uh, envelope pushing movie with a juicy starring role. And I think, I mean, Franco was game for, for this movie, but the movie does not do the, the movie doesn't deserve no. his performance and his performance is not good. It's I mean, really, it's he, very not good. He tries, he try. I, I don't, I, it's like I, again, with like the dialogue and everything, I don't know what I would have had him do differently. Cause I just, there's no, I mean, same with Mina Savari, same. It's just like, n- nobody's coming out of this looking good, but, um, it's, it is rough. Mina Suvari, same thing, really coming off of, uh, American beauty. An American Pie. It's like, how do you be a serious actress? Yeah. Well, 
the, the funniest byproduct of this whole thing is that, uh, this, this movie is one of Tommy Wiseau's favorite films. Oh, you, you, of course it is. And apparently the reason why he was okay with James Franco playing him in. No, you're making this up. Absolute, is this real? On the record. Tommy Wiseau says of this film, he says, it, I'm not going to try and do his voice. But it, he says it has everything in it. Betrayal, love, sexuality, this and that. It's the same as the room. Same with the room. <laughs> Dude, this and the room double feature. <laughs> I mean, that it, as a footnote to the room, as a footnote in terms of Tommy Wiseau watching a film and being like, "Ah, uh, yes, this is the kind of movie I want to make—an art film that really says something, like makes a crazy amount of sense." Like now, now that I'm thinking about it, the only thing that would have made Sunny any better was a CGI San Francisco backdrop. <laughs> and Tommy Wiseau is the main character. Imagine. It would have been fucking amazing. Okay, so now... Yo, the girl in in the room looks a lot like Mina Savari, yes. too. Oh, my God, you're right. This is so weird. So now what needs to happen is they need to remake Sonny, but <laughs> but it, but but was so in Franco's role, directed by Franco. <laughs> was so playing a young kid straight out of the army who's getting pulled back into the life of, of, of a gigolo. Oh shit. Okay. So back to the plot, right? He comes home. Yeah. We learned that his, his mom, uh, made him a prostitute when he was young. And, uh, that's kind of the only life he can imagine, but he wants to, he wants to get out of it. He wants to go square as they say a million times in the movie. And, um, he has a kind of, he's a friend he met in the army who (laughs) runs a bookstore in Texas City, I don't know the details of that were extremely vague. <laughs> so he's gonna he's gonna go. Uh, also, was this how they did things in the eighties? I guess before email and shit, you had to just go to your like visit right. your friend's job and be like, "Hey, do you have any work for me?" In a bookstore, I guess you just drive down to Texas and be like, right. hey, I need money. Can can I work here? Is Texas City in Texas or is it one of those like things of like, you know, Kansas City or something? I have it's like- no, I, I assumed <laughs> that they had made it up for the movie. Yeah, I mean, I don't know a place <laughs> called Texas City. I'm sure there is one, but. Well, uh, the, it turns out the bookstore business is not booming in Texas city and, uh, Wonder why. He, he, he gets there and is out of luck and he, he goes on a, a double date with his friend and, uh, a, a couple of young blonde ladies that ends with, um, them ho- hooking up and really just. I, I honestly, one of the most embarrassing scenes I've ever like seen. That I've ever seen in any movie on a fi- ever. In a film. Or just a naked <laughs> James Franco <laughs> going. So basically this, like, this, this uh, woman that he hooks up with. <laughs> She's like, I'll be right back. Okay, well, so like, he tells her, yeah, he yeah, tells yeah. her he's a pro. She, yeah. he, he's so good at fucking. He like fucks her so good. And she's like, and you should do this she, for a living. Yeah, she, she's and like, he's wow. like, I do. Yeah, he's like, I do. I'm, I'm, I'm a gigolo. And she's like, Ooh, okay. Ooh, be right back. She goes to the bathroom and starts chugging codeine out of a bottle. Just and then, and then Franco, keep in mind, they're both still completely naked. Butt Neither naked. of them have any clothes on. So she's chugging a bottle of codeine in the bathroom <laughs> and Franco will like bust the door in. And he's like, 
what are you doing? What is this shit? And he like punches the bottle out of her hand and like smashes against the wall. And then he's going, going through her shit and throw. He's she, going through her closet and her drawer. She has all, a bunch and, of codeine bottles and yeah, he's throwing and he's them around. Throwing them all against the wall and smashing them and breaking them. And then he grabs her and he throws her into a pile of like shattered glass. Yeah. And he's like yelling at her and then his friend opens the door and he's like, hey, man, what's going on in here? Really chill. He's like, hey, uh, what's what seems to be the problem? And Franco's like, you're supposed to be better than me. It's like it's supposed to be. It's like it's so unsubtle. He's like he's like, you guys, you this is the square life, but it's actually not square. You do drugs and I've seen drugs before and I know I'm sad. And. What seemed to be an important, you know, uh, piece of the the mo- like that the, the movie was going to be his transition into, or, or I don't know, it, it seemed like it was going to be a bigger part of the movie. But then he just he's back, no more friend, n- no more cough syrup girl. Like he's he just goes home and goes to bed, <laughs> back to New Orleans. So like they set up this whole alternate plot for the movie that right. doesn't happen with all this buildup of right. the mom being like no, up, like she's no, like no like, you're the best fucker i've ever seen you i made i made you a, a fucking machine and now you're gonna throw it all away and harry dean stanton like man i hope you do it i hope you can get out of this life and and uh yeah and then just nope but we still have like an hour left of the movie and then harry dean stanton dies in a car accident in that scene was awesome. <laughs> Another, I mean, just talk, I, it's like it's, so. Like it's like notice, a. Ch- it's so frustrating. It's so fucking frustrating. Because he's like he's playing a. He, he, all he does is is like drink gin and play gin, and he's he's playing a. a with this guy who you know who we've never seen before in a, in a, a scene where it's just like I think this he he wins for I guess the first time in like five years or something and he's like oh, everything's coming up Harry Dean Stan everything's good you know what my life is good now it's turned around and I'm the luckiest man on earth I'm so lucky and nothing bad will ever happen and he gets into the car and out of nowhere like a bulldozer or something just hits his car no it's a it's a fuel tank a fuel tanker and of course it, and, and that's why it, it explodes and, and then we just see a burning fedora <laughs> laying on the street <laughs> Only then does James Franco's mom tell him that Harry Dean Stanton was actually his dad and he didn't want him to know, which, Miles, I I don't know if you also noticed that it's basically the exact plot of the Pearl Jam song, Black. (laughs) Listen here, son, have I got a story for you? Harry Dean Stanton, he was your daddy. It's like it, it, you know, real Pearl Jam heads will know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, that happens in, and it, it's again like I assume that John Carlin, that is maybe from his life, and the fact Harry Dean Stan was his dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, now all he has left is a charred fedora. But no, no, that you know, is his dad was maybe like a, a John and right, uh, right. whatever. I mean, wh- what we have is like real tragedy that is done so ham-fistedly that it, it's just like it's like insulting. It's insulting to 
everybody. Like I feel it's insulting to film. I feel like uh, I feel almost stupider. Having watched it. <laughs> yes, yes, I do too. I I feel no. Well, no, actually, what I, what I feel is I feel a little bit refreshed in the sense that like my you really can't measure good film at like what good filmmaking is unless you like sometimes dip into like truly bottom of the barrel filmmaking. And this is the kind of film that only somebody with a bunch of money that nobody can say no to much like the room. Uh, this is the kind of film that can only be made under that circumstance. And um, because there's just no quality control the, and, and a lot of um, misguided uh, confidence. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's a, it's a confident film in, and that's what makes it the, the fact that it's so boring and it's just terrible. It's even more bewildering. I just don't understand. Um, all right. But so before, before Harry Dean Stan dies, um, we're treated to some other scenes. I mean, the, I, I was also just, it should be said that like Franco comes home and wants to go square and the, he sees his mom. And the first thing his mom is like, you got to meet, uh, what's her name? Carol or whatever. Mina Savari's character. And they meet and then just immediately are in love, but we don't see them falling in love. We don't see any kind of courtship. Like his mom wants them to, to like be like a tag team, uh, prostitutes. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I don't know, like, uh, like Sonny and Cher, like a, like a a figure doubles figure skating or something like, but they, they just kind of start, sleeping together and we I just assume we were supposed to feel something about their relationship, but the film does just no work to establish it as being, as, as being humans and not plot points. And uh, so we get a bunch of business between them. She, the first thing she does when he gets home and she sees that he's cute is she goes to her, her most loyal John and gives him a blowjob, and then like midway through the blowjob, she's like, uh, "I want you to give me a Pontiac." Oh yeah, <laughs> want yeah, you- yeah, because 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 he's working in a used car lot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I, um, you need to give me a Firebird, <laughs> and, and he's like, "No, please, please finish, please finish sucking my dick, and then we'll talk about it." She's like, "Uh, uh, uh, not till I get that car," and he's like, "Oh, okay." And uh, yeah, because Sonny ends up with the firebird. She gives it to she him. She gives it to she him. She wants it, and to then have she it. takes it back. And she takes it back. But which then is notice, notice at the end, the thing that broke his heart more than her telling, like, leaving him to marry the other guy was that he had to give her back the firebird. <laughs> you think so? I mean, like, yeah, it's just like the way the scene was set up. It looked <laughs> like it was more of a heartbreak to return the the sick ass firebird <laughs> than actually like lose the love of his life. I mean, his his rush cassette sounded great, and it, it, it memories of, of <laughs> cruising to. Texas city and just <laughs> playing 2112. <laughs> I wonder what cage's favorite rush album is. Great question. My money I think is on, uh, moving pictures. Yeah. That's what I was going to oh, say. Really? Too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know why, but uh, me either, but Neil Pert is definitely his favorite drummer. I bet he loves his lyrics too. Probably. <laughs> he did name his son Kal-El. True. So I think he's okay with things being a little, <laughs> a little hammy and, and, 
Fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Just looking at my notes, we have to talk about... (laughs) There's... First of all, we don't have to talk about any of this. I, there's a scene where James Franco turns a trick dressed as a cop. Oh, my God. I know exactly. He shows up to this woman's house dressed as a cop because that's her fantasy. And it is... I, I haven't felt as uncomfortable watching a scene since the last time I watched, like, a Michael Haneke movie. And... I don't don't say that as a way of giving credit to this film, though clearly the scene is meant to be uncomfortable and disturbing, but it's like, it's meant to be that way, and it's, but the sheer awkwardness of everything, of the staging, (laughs) the, the way the shitty cop costume looks on James Franco, I mean, beat for beat, like, he, he shows up, he shows up, and she's like, you know, they're already the fantasies begun and she's in her bathrobe, this, this older woman. And she's like, Oh, who are you? And he's like, he doesn't want to be there. Sonny, Sonny wanted to go square, but he's back in it and he, he just wants the job and he's feeling bad. And he's like, so he starts like play acting the scene, but just like, like he wishes he could be anywhere else. <laughs> and he's like, well, there's been a disturbance. Like I, I need to go check your bedroom. <laughs> They go up, go upstairs, and at this point, I wish I could be anywhere else. Like I was just like I almost fast forwarded through this scene because it, well, but and I was watching this movie alone, so it's not yeah. even like it was. It's not even like it was making any situation awkward for me. It no. just made me feel it, so uncomfortable so that I almost bad. had to turn it off. They go upstairs and and he goes and stands looking out the window (laughs) and there's this long take where she gets behind him and she kind of like she she bends down like she's gonna stick her face just in his butt and like motorboat his butt and and it's just and and then he turns around and what she wants him to do is f- is fuck her using the using the nightstick the nightstick as a dildo and it ends with him doing that and her groaning and the the groan in the, in post like the sound gets like elongated and add like a reverb added to it so she's like ah, ah, oh! and it, and it's just like I I hated it. I hated it so much, and it, it, it just like on in some film reel in purgatory, like that film is is that scene, that is, just scene is just playing on repeat. You, you know she put that on her reel. Oh God, no, no, no. There's that other. Are they? Are you still call it? Do you still call him a John if it's a woman? Um, I. I don't know. It's Sonny's other client who is super excited that he's back in town. Um, she like sees, sees him in uh, getting a, a suit fitting when he comes back and she, she's there with her girlfriend who might be that same woman. I don't remember. And, and she's like, she's like, Ooh, Sonny. She's like having a slow orgasm through the whole, the whole scene. Like, when did you come back? 
Ooh, remember, this is the boy, the young boy who was at the lake with me when I was having problems with my husband. Here he is. And James Franco, again, looks like the, the way he plays that this scene is like so unrealistic and just like just bad, just bad. And it but it's it all bad. makes us made me feel uncomfortable, like the way that he communicates that he d- he doesn't want to be a prostitute anymore is he just kind of like his face he looks like he smells something bad and he's like oh no i don't i don't do that i was in the army and it's just like i oh christ miles it made me sad miles i know it's okay <laughs> dave it's all right it's all right uh I, we i don't think we will see another movie with that is like has this many like bonkers elements in it with such like a dull, just boring, stupid. I think that this film lends credence to the idea that cage is best when he is being directed and given parameters. When he has parameters, when he has constraints, because in a movie like this where he is the director and he is the final arbiter, like the buck stops with him. He doesn't know when to stop or even if where he landed is like, you know, he, he doesn't think it doesn't have taste in, in that. So he needs someone literally saying, no, no, try it this way. Right. He, he has range and he has any, he has bravery and he has a, a kind of intuition to, to do, to go places and, and bring things out, uh, in characters and in films that um, that other actors can't or won't do, but he doesn't. He's he doesn't have a director's mind. Immediately, I was super put off just by the the camera angles. Like the the whole, uh, so much of the movie is shot in like one shots of just uh, just one person's face just reacting or talking to nobody, or like two shots and a lot of it is filmed from this weird angle, like kind of like a foot above everyone's head and like directed down. Like it look, it's so weird. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me a lot of the, um, the camera work on Deadfall. Yes. Yeah. I was actually thinking a lot about Deadfall, which, you know, people want to beat up on Deadfall, but like, this movie makes Deadfall look like the Godfather. Like Deadfall has style for days in in kind of a, a similarly tasteless way, but um, it's really fun to watch and not boring. And this movie was the opposite of fun to watch and very boring. The one scene that... that is an outlier in that respect has to be the scene with Nicolas Cage in it uh, as the pimp named Acid Yellow. Who's sort of like a Cajun Austin Powers. (laughs) I I was going to say, he looks like... um, uh, who who was Andy Kaufman's uh, alter oh. ego? Uh, to- Clifton. Tony, Tony Clifton. Clifton. He it's like Nick Cage. He does totally. <laughs> you're right. Look, it's Nick Cage's Tony. Clifton. Tony Clifton because um, he has this huge fake nose and um, a, he's wearing like a leisure suit <laughs> <laughs> with like with the Austin Powers ruffles and a and and a cane with a sword hidden in it and like I I want to like if 
if that's the performance that Cage turns in at this movie, like it really does communicate <laughs> where his head was at because it, for, for the real Cage heads, the movie is worth watching just for that scene because it's unbelievable. Like no nobody else would have acted that way or directed that scene that way. I mean, everything is indescribably strange. <laughs> Um, Because it starts out, too, that scene starts out with, like, Hendrix on the corner shredding. Do you remember that? So, like, there's this guy guy with, like, a fro and a headband. He looks kind of like Steven Tyler, um, but, like, uh, on his worst day. And And he's, like, standing on the corner in front of some restaurant. And he's just like wearing and he's just shredding a guitar, but like with his in teeth. No, yeah, yeah, with his teeth, but in no discernible key. Or, <laughs> he's got like or a like, slash hat yeah, on. Or like with no structure. Yeah. Dude, he's like a weird combo. He's like a weird combo of Steven Tyler slash Jimi Hendrix and uh like like Santana. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and, and this is the scene after, after Franco learns that Harry Dean Stanton is his dead dad. And, uh, so he just starts drinking and he's, he's drinking in a bar and, uh, and I think Starman by David Bowie's playing and, um, sudden and then like it sounds great in a firebird by the way <laughs> you should definitely crank that song next time you're in a firebird but if you're drinking uh just hard drinking in a bar like there's this trick i don't i don't know exactly how you you do it it's another kind of like cliche like movie trick but like as he gets drunk like the the song starts sounding really discordant and like like suddenly there's like a delay pedal on it and uh and another song playing underneath and it's it's kind of awesome like the sudden also like it's a good alienating effect yeah and and the way that k that i i think the i don't know if i want to say this is the best scene. I guess this is the best scene. That doesn't seem like the right word because again, like the, the taste is just non-existent like this. It's, it's nobody (laughs) who would want to take credit for directing the scene, but like the, um, the camera gets all kind of like, uh, Vaseline and blurry and, and things are moving in slow motion. Yeah. We see like, uh, Jimi Hendrix Santana, uh, like grinning at him and playing a guitar, and uh, Cage stumbles to Acid Yellow's um, gay brothel. You mean Franco. What did I say? You said Cage. Whatever. Frank, oh, yeah. Franco. Franco goes there, and uh, and just the most Nicolas Cage uh, performance. <laughs> I mean, prosthetics and everything, and 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 the extras too. There's some guy who looks kind of like Rowdy Roddy Piper, but with like a find, wig. Where did they find those people? And and just and there's a tiny there's a tiny dog wearing clothes on like an Italian greyhound walking on the bar, and Cage is just doing like shovelfuls of of cocaine. He's like he's excited that Franco's there because Sonny is the you know he's known for being the best pros in the in New Orleans and. Uh, he, he Franco w- convinces him to give to give him a client. Um, he says he's looking for some rough trade, and uh, so Cage gives him his his best client. And um, this 
we get a scene of a man going into the bedroom with Franco and, and this guy, he takes off his wedding ring and he's like, I've been a bad boy. I've been mean to people who work for me. And Franco says something like, but what about your dad? Tell me about your dad. And he's like, what? My dad's dead. And Franco goes, so is mine. And he kicks his ass. He just beats just the guy beats up. him up. Again, like a thing that like, it, it should be in, in a film. Like, I feel like it's going for something like Requiem for a Dream. And, and you know, and like in that context, it would be just soul searing and, and just, it just so sad, but like, but, th- but then we have Nicolas Cage pulling out a fucking sword cane and threatening him. And, and like, so what, what do you even, how do you even respond to that? And, and then literally like hard cut to James Franco, just sitting on his bed at home, fine, feeling bummed out. Like there's no consequence. He has a little cut above his uh, eye from the cane. Yeah, <laughs> but just but, uh, slightly. Just, just what? Just why, Dave? You're not going to get that I know. answered. The, I'm I'm literally reading my notes. <laughs> <laughs> why? Why was this made? What's the point? Who is this for? Another uh, scene that deserves mention. Maybe the only other scene that deserves mention is. The, the scene where Mina Savari and Franco like finally do a, a, their dynamic duo act. They, they go to a fancy party with uh, this swinger couple um, and, uh, and fuck them. And in just another like really uncomfortable scene. I, I think there, there's like Mina Savari's like having sex with this guy who looks kind of like Chef Boyardee and, uh, and and what does he say? He's he 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 he's saying he's something like oh dear oh heavens oh dang or, or something something like that. Um, as she rides on top of him, and she and then when they're done, like their little their two little like toddler girls run into the room, and but the night's still young, and Mina Savari and James Franco drive off in in the Firebird um, to like a field with a barn and they get caught in a rainstorm and go in to the barn and they see uh, a mother dog with, with new puppies and Mina Savari starts crying and she's like, she's like, I want puppies. And, uh, and James Franco's like, uh, no, don't think about that. We're just, we're, we're stuck uh, being prostitutes and, you know, and, and, and she, you know, and that's kind of her big scene of like, you can't see me, but anything but a trick. And, um, she decides to, to get married to the blowjob car dealer guy and got a firebird and a marriage out of it. (laughs) And, uh, I mean, I, I guess I'm just just mentioning it because it is it's just another like big scene in quotes. It's a scene that shouldn't be and everyone involved should be embarrassed. <laughs> it's not even that this movie doesn't respect the audience to uh and that's why it's spelling out the subtext and just turning it into text, but like it's it's that it, it's just so tone deaf and bad that like, you know, that we, it's not enough that we see the, her crying with the dog, with the puppies, but she just has to say like, I want that. And he's like, no, you can't. And she's like, 
yes, I can. The fact that you said that I can't means I have to leave you. You know, it's every, everything is so boringly cliche and spelled out for you that there's no, there's n- no work for your brain to do. Why? Maybe you just didn't get it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's operating on a level that I actually just don't understand. I mean, Wiseau is up on it. Cage says he's very happy with how the film came out. What film was he watching? <laughs> Franco, Franco uh, was reportedly happy, though I, can't, I really can't imagine him seeing this and not feeling like his career is over. I know, right? Begins. If he hadn't have also been in Spider-Man. Similarly, this came out like the same week as Adaptation. Oh, cool. So I, I have to believe that the only people who've ever seen this film are people from that opening weekend who were like, oh, well, Cage, maybe Cage is a respectable artist. Us and the like 30 other dudes doing Nicolas Cage podcasts for some reason. Like we're, we are the only ones. We are the audience. Where does Wiseau fall in, in that category? <laughs> Wait for his Cage podcast. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. And, and Wiseau um, just seeing seeing this and seeing everything that he thinks film can and should be you there's a scene when they go on the double date and it's like it's a a wissoian scene um where the whole thing is like they just went to a movie and then we cut to the four of them in an ice cream parlor uh franco his buddy and their dates and the only dialogue is Franco blows on his ice cream and the, and his friend is like, why, why'd you blow on it? Why? It's not hot. Why did you blow on your ice cream? And he's, he's like, huh, I, I didn't know. I thought it was hot. And they laugh. And that's the whole scene. <laughs> it's like, it, it's right out there with the like high doggy. <laughs> what else is there to say? Yeah, I, is there, I that's, that's it. Uh, I, I would give this movie uh, an A. For avoid at all costs. <laughs> nice. I asked you what you were expecting from this film, and uh, you know, I I I was expecting not this. I um, I do want to say. I mean, the, there was this one part that is kind of indicative of like all the promise that this movie, I guess, had, and the stylish stylish kind of choices that were being made, but that were just made so ineptly um, that, and, and there, there's this like, and and it also reminded me of kind of the way that cage acts and, and gets into character. And and I'm thinking of uh, Franco comes home and in, in his bedroom, he has this uh, it's one of these, I don't know if uh, everybody is familiar with these things, but it's not quite a picture. It's like a light. It's a thing that you plug in that hangs on the wall and looks like a picture, but it has moving lights inside of it and makes sounds. And this one is of a waterfall. It's like a series of waterfalls. And, um, and so he comes home and he turns it on and then there's like multiple scenes or, or shots in the first, like, 15 or 20 minutes of the film that go back to this like pretty, it's like a, a really kind of like dollar store junkie 
kind of thing that's also like weirdly beautiful and um and and it's and it's the kind of thing that like like the story of uh you know cage wanting to uh be in um whatever superhero movie that was but he he wanted to have a jamaican accent it's like one of those like kind of things that Cage as an actor, I think, fixates on like moments or ticks or uh, objects that um, can speak to a character and, and give a lot of like uh, sort of ground it and, and as like a key, as a key to a character. And it was weird seeing him as a director kind of do that again because it was like not subtle when when he's not hemmed in. Like Cage does not go for subtlety. It was also something that was indicative of Cage as an artist as um the, the, his kind his eye and um some uh, something that he would fixate on and and um and and use in a way that uh, other other artists wouldn't so it didn't work but it was a choice that only Cage would probably make how does this compare to um Zandali. I mean, I feel like in the same way that it kind of was a synthesis. I don't know. I think in as much as it was just a bunch of other cage movies thrown together. Yeah. I think Zandali was represented the the themes and and ideas of Zandali, I feel like were repeated more than some of his other films. Yeah, well, yeah, there's a whole you thing know, like, about like yeah, like uh, you know, aging and uh and yeah, I don't know. This would be a, a that that would be a double feature. Boy oh boy. Um all right, well t- to round things out uh or just like a nice little cap um around the same time in uh Nicolas Cage's life, um he got married and quickly got divorced to Lisa Marie Presley. How long were they married? 108 days. Wow. Yeah. Um, And Lisa Marie had been married to Michael Jackson uh, before this for in another short kind of bewildering marriage um, that caused a lot of gossip. Both Cage and, and Lisa Marie Presley didn't really talk about they tried to kind of avoid doing press about it which just made everybody uh speculate on why and what was going on and and i mean nicholas cage loves elvis and um you know is is a big elvis fan and has essentially played elvis (laughs) in wild at heart and uh and certainly has used elements of Elvis's yeah. character in many of his other roles. Yes. There were all these like rumors. I mean, I think the the sort of like gossip line was that uh you know, he he's a collector of Elvis memorabilia and that this is like his his ultimate piece, uh his ultimate get and uh he wants to have like Elvis's grandchild or something. There were there were rumors that he, they wanted to buy Graceland together. Um, or that he wanted to build a new Graceland for her. There were rumors that uh, he, their like answering machine was him like singing Elvis <laughs> and like shit like that. Um, I, I watched this weird interview that he did with Barbara Walters um, at s- some point after the whole mess where he describes 
meeting her at a party and uh, and just and falling in love with her and then connecting a lot on uh, you know growing up with famous names and the pressure of famous names uh, Coppola and Presley and um, both. It seems like such a quaint thing to bond over. Yeah, and 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 just and and seeing each other as you know, it's kind of the opposite of, of the, that thing of like actually seeing each other not as celebrities, but just as people who have dealt with uh, artistic families with weird demons and uh, and a lot of pressure and trying to m- um, make a name for yourself in the entertainment industry with all this uh, baggage that you didn't ask for and uh and that they're they're still like friends and um the interview the barbara walters interview you can go look at it on youtube it's it's weird she's like she's like i don't want to play cupid but why aren't you still together if you love her so much I, I know, it's bizarre but anyway that that was happening this is uh the wheels of fame are, are turning i mean he went from uh what's her name from um Captain Curly's mandolin, Selma, uh, Hayek. Selma Hayek, to Lisa Marie Presley, to um, just being um, <laughs> a weird bachelor with a, a castle and a pyramid. Uh, just a little window into that. What's coming up next? I think Matchstick Men, which is directed by Ridley Scott. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah, so well, that's always fun. We get to talk about... Uh, Arguably great director. Some would say no, but yeah. And then we got National Treasure and, Lo- wait. and Lord of War. Lord of War. Can't wait. Mm, it's it's going to be good. Yeah. And then we got The Weatherman and The Ant Bully and The Wicker Man and Ch- World Trade Center and Ghost Rider. <laughs> good Lord. <laughs> the, the boat really starts taking on water. I mean, <laughs> it, things really go off the rails. 